It's good to be here again to open the Word of God. Uh, I wish that Ellen were moving closer to our church in Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, She's still a distance away. I understand that it's going to take 10 people to replace her. (laughs) 10 to 15 Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen as I read the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not Now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the salvation, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy. We all want joy. We we want to experience joy, uh, the celebration of joy. Peter is writing to the elect exiles, reminding them of their salvation accompanied by the Trinity. We see in the first three verses, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Based on that salvation, Peter prays that grace and peace will be multiplied to them as they rejoice in the salvation that is genuine, that is presently theirs. It is finished. Their salvation is accomplished, done. Jesus has done it all, everything. There is nothing to be added to what Christ has accomplished. This leads Peter to utter praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which overflows to a fuller eulogy, a chain reaction of praise in verses 3 and following 
that consists of one run-on sentence or ten verses related to our salvation. One idea leads to another as Peter goes down one trail and runs to another. This sermon is all about joy. The joy that we should find in the gospel. I'm sure you all have heard about indicatives and imperatives. The indicatives are the facts of the gospel, the truths about Jesus Christ and what he has done on behalf of his elect exiles. We talked this morning in Sunday school about election, about God and his graciousness has elected some when he need not have elected any. The imperatives are the commands that express God's will for how we as elect exiles should live. Both relate to our salvation, but the indicative comes first, and then the imperatives follow. The indicatives are foundational all the time, every time. We're not saved by our works, by the things that God commands us to do. The the commands that he uh, gives us are built on the foundation of what Jesus Christ has done. If we have believed in Jesus Christ, this is how we will act as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have believed in him. Imperatives flow from the indicative, but you must remind yourself before obeying, you are not adding anything to your salvation. You are saved by what Jesus Christ has done in his perfect obedience to the law in his life, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, by his ascension into heaven, These things are the basis of your salvation, what Jesus Christ has done. Because you are unable to do anything to add to what Jesus Christ has done. He has done it all. That's the gospel. That is is what you as a church proclaim. And you are to daily remind yourself of that. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done and what he is doing in your life. For it is Jesus who is enabling you to live the life that you're living. We see in the passage much about joy. Joy exclaimed. Joy despite suffering. Joy anticipating eternity. Joy over our exalted position in the kingdom. But we see, first of all, joy exclaimed by Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father. By calling God Father, Jesus was claiming to be of the same nature as God. 
In Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10, we read, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you realize that? Do you understand that you as a believer have been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ? Does that give you joy? Do you think about it? Do you realize your position? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace and which he has lavished upon us. I love that word, lavished. He has poured his grace upon us. Layer upon layer, we can't even imagine. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached the fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Joy is being exclaimed here. Our Lord, stress is on the intimate relationship that we have with God through Jesus, with whom we are united by faith. Suffering Christians need to be thus reminded. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. His father is also our father. Every believer has God as father. And it says, according to his, his great mercy, he has, because he has caused us to be born again, to be regenerated, to be given new birth, to move from death to life, dead to sin, alive to righteousness, mercy, not merit, not getting what we deserve. That's merit, getting what we deserve. But God deals with us in mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve. That should cause us joy, great joy. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For Christ also once suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own great mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit. He's begotten us, what? To a living hope, our hope of eternal life. 
Our salvation will be fulfilled when Jesus returns or we go to him. We look forward to the future that God will bring of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, his resurrection secures our resurrection. Every one of us will face the same end. We will die. And for the believer, every one of us will have the same outcome. Because Christ rose, we will rise in glorified bodies. Edward Clowney, who was a professor at Westminster Seminary, observes, quote, Christ's resurrection spells hope for us not because, not just because he lives, but because by God's mercy we live. By the resurrection of Christ, God has given life not only to him, but also to us. We are given new birth by God. He fathers us by the resurrection of his son. In Christ's triumph, God makes all things new, beginning with us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Or are they just platitudes that you hear every Sunday? And you just hear them without any joy, without anything happening within you, without any uh, incentive to glorify God through Christ by your life. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also, Jesus said. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. John 14, verses 18 through 20. In verses 4 and 5, We, the elect exiles, who have been born again, have an eternal inheritance. And then that inheritance is described. And listen listen to these attributes. They're your inheritance, if you're a believer. It is imperishable. It won't decay. These mortal bodies will decay and turn to dust. But our inheritance will not. It is unfading. It won't wither like the flowers do. It won't fade away as our physical beauty will as, as we age. Uh, no matter how handsome or beautiful you are as a young person, you'll eventually wind up like me. It is preserved, your inheritance, and kept by the Almighty God in heaven for us. And not only does God keep your inheritance for you, he guards it with his power, according to this passage. The same power that guards your inheritance keeps you, preserves you. 
Nothing will ever separate the true believer from God. You're in protective custody, brothers and sisters, and God will keep you safe until you're safely in the arms of Jesus Christ. You can trust that. God says that in his word. You may be persecuted now. You may be oppressed. You may be abused. But this is what your future holds, child of God. Look past your trouble to your glorious eternal inheritance. God has a rich inheritance awaiting you when the greatest part of that inheritance is being in his sacred presence in the companionship of Jesus. In Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, are words that I have read to many believers on their deathbed. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be shorted. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What precious promises that God gives to us. And imagine that these are the last words that you're going to hear. What comfort they bring. Do you believe these things? Does it make you happy enough to smile <laughs> you know, we talk about Christians being full of joy and sometimes we're the most miserable looking people in the world do you rejoice daily in the fact that you are the richest of people in the world do you lie in bed at night and think about how rich you are and how much you owe God for what he has given you in Jesus Christ? 
Do you savor the riches that are yours in Christ? Or is your focus more on the trials that you're experiencing? Do you think of Christ often in song and prayer when you're by yourself or with with others? Do you talk about him? Is he the focus of your existence in light of everything that he has given to you and is giving to you? We see in verses 6 and 7 in 1 Peter In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuine, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're to have joy despite suffering. That's what this is saying. In this your salvation and inheritance, you rejoice. And the word means extreme joy and gladness. The psalmist prayed, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In Psalm 51, 12. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Acts Chapter 2, verse 28, from Psalm 16. With the joy, there will be trials. And it says, for a little while. They won't last forever. They won't last long when you compare time with eternity. You know, if we live to be 70, 80, 90, what's that? Nothing compared to eternity where there is no time. If necessary, the trial will serve a purpose. God knows what he's doing. He knows what in you needs refining and shaping. They are a grief. They hurt. You weep as as your face with the trials, but God sees every tear and Jesus sheds his tears with you. When someone persecutes you, they persecute him. Christ identifies with his children, with his people. A word to those who oppress. Beware. It's a dangerous thing to oppress one of God's elect because you persecute Christ. And I'm aware through counseling that there's much oppression and abuse in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, there may be wives in this congregation that are oppressed and abused by their husbands or children by their parents. Uh, I've seen it. Whether you do it secretly or openly, God knows. It may be hidden from others, but nothing is hidden from God's eye. And Jesus says to you who oppress God's elect, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Revelation 22:12. Through various trials, troubles come in many different forms, as you know too well, but God is the one that is picking the trial that will conform you to Jesus Christ as you respond to that trial biblically. We talk about a sovereign God. We believe God is sovereign, that God ordains everything that comes to pass. Well, do you believe that he's ordaining the trials that you're in right now? And he's doing it for a purpose? To conform you, to make you more like Jesus Christ? Do you find joy in that? And the trials, let me say this, the same trial can have one or two purposes. It can build you up or tear you down. What makes the difference? Your reaction to the trial. How you accept the trial. Do you see God's hand in it? How do you respond to the shaping hand of God? And the trials have a purpose. To test the genuineness of your faith the reality of it, and to help you grow. Now, not for God's benefit. God isn't testing you to see whether you're going to really make it or not. He's already chosen his children, his people. He's doing it for you, for your benefit, so that you can see the genuineness of your faith, so you don't deceive yourself. James 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Testing is for your benefit, not God's. God knows if your faith is genuine or not. The benefit is that when you come through a trial and you still trust in the Lord, you will gain assurance that your faith is genuine. A person pointed out to me once that trials are also for the benefit of those observing your response to the trials. Believers are not. Your response is a powerful witness to the reality of your faith. When another sees how you're responding to the trials that you're facing and you're responding with joy, that is a powerful witness. And it says that the revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming, Jesus, that's when Jesus calls and and rewards his elect exiles. In 113, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But rejoice 
insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When you suffer, do you think of Christ's suffering? What he suffered for you? Many don't. But thirdly, we see joy anticipating eternity. Already and not yet. Although you have not seen him, you love him, it says. You have not seen Jesus on earth. You do not now see him, but you shall see Jesus. The past, present, and future is contrasted. You will praise, glorify, and honor him at his revelation, at his coming. The goal of your faith will be obtained. Your eyes will see the one who has saved you, the one you have loved and trusted without seeing. One day your faith will be rewarded with sight. Your rejoicing, though, is now, already, but not yet. Not only do we have faith in Jesus and love for Jesus now, we already know the joy that we will experience when we see him. The salvation of our souls in the last day is the goal of our faith. We wait for the salvation of Christ that he will bring with him as his appearing. Yet we're already experiencing that salvation because Jesus has already come in the flesh and in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God has already come. Our hope is realized. We know Jesus. But because the kingdom of God is, is yet to come and the goal of our faith is still future, we live in a future that is already present not just in our our imagination or expectation, but in realization, the reality of Christ's presence in the Spirit. And lastly, we see joy over our exalted position in the kingdom in verses 10 and 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. In these two verses, Peter is asserting that this salvation of your souls, which you as Christians enjoy and fervently hope for, is the same salvation the Old Testament prophets were seeking to understand, but never did. How blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Matthew 13, verses 6 and 7. What a privilege to live in A.D. and not B.C. What a privilege to live in the year of our Lord after he was on earth 
after his resurrection. What a privilege to have the word of God. To be able to hear the word of God expounded. To be able to have commentaries and uh, 2,000 years of church history to look at, at how the saints interpreted the word of God as he revealed himself to us. What joy we should have because of the privilege that is ours. The prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be ours. It is ours. It's, it's ours now. What the prophets in the Old Testament are looking forward to, for us it's reality. Every day we have what they looked forward to. Not only the prophets, the angels didn't understand what we understand now. They searched and inquired carefully. Did you ever see the movie American Sniper where the soldiers went around from house to house and these, they're searching for terrorists at, in these various houses. These words have that same military flavor. The prophets searched diligently. They studied the Old Testament writings to learn more about the promised salvation. But they couldn't understand what was involved in the life and death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Yet even with this incomplete knowledge, they were saved through faith in what God revealed to them up to that point. They weren't saved in a different fashion. They were saved by faith, just like we're saved by faith. It's never been any other way. They were saved through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, and that is the only way that anyone is or has been saved. They had faith that the God-given covenant would be ultimately fulfilled. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, these all died in faith. Now, this is important to understand. You know, uh, some people teach that in the Old Testament, you were saved by works. You know. These all died in faith, Old Testament saints, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the, on the earth. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. What person or time were the questions the prophets were asking directed by the Holy Spirit of Christ in them. The Holy Spirit guided them to, to write, to predict the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glory, most prominently uh, in Isaiah. We're going through Isaiah in our, in our small group. Not serving themselves, but you, dear elect exiles, you on this side of the cross they were serving those who preached the good news, the New Testament apostles and preachers of the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels longed to look into.
verse 12. The salvation provided by Christ is so great that even the angels are peeking down to get a view as it unfolds. The word means to look, to peep into a situation from a vantage point of an outsider, usually one who is not seen by those being watched, like Michael watching her husband David from her window as he danced. Holy curiosity to watch and delight in the glories of Christ's kingdom as they find even fuller realization in the lives of individual Christians through the history of the church until Jesus returns. The angels peaking now as the salvation story unfolds in the lives of every believer that is here. Angels are watching and marveling at what is being unfolded here as they hear the glory of Christ proclaimed, as they hear the gospel set forth in clear terms. The angels are marveling at what Jesus Christ has done, and they're full of joy before the throne. Are you? As you participate in this live drama that you're part of, you're here this morning to worship the triune God. The angels are marveling at what the triune God is accomplishing, how he's saving you, how he's preserving you. The angels are marveling at the great love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for their chosen pilgrims, you. How the salvation story continues to unfold until the last sheep is gathered into the fold and Jesus returns And for you, the story will continue in the new heavens and the new earth. Does not this bring you joy, 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 inexpressible? If it doesn't, you may be dead spiritually. And you need to repent. You need to get down on your knees before God. And embrace the Savior that he has sent to be the Savior. Doesn't that make you happy? Doesn't it give you renewed strength to continue the battle? To persevere knowing that the Almighty God is preserving you because you are in Christ. Doesn't it bring you joy that you have this society of the elect exiles around you today, for we're all elect exiles. This, is, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. And we're passing through by God's grace. And we should be delighting in that and delighting in one another and strengthening one another and holding one another up. And realizing that we are here. Doesn't it bring you joy to know that you are part of the society of elect exiles? That we have each other to love and support one another until Jesus returns and sets all things right? 
we all can exclaim, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you for your promises that are yea and the amen in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you who have begun a good work in us will continue it until that day when he returns. We thank you that we have the promise that you will hold us fast, that it is not based on any accomplishments in us, or any good works, but it's totally by your grace. We praise you and we bless you. We thank you that you have given us this time to express our worship toward you. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit grant you peace, long-suffering, and perseverance until the day Jesus returns. Go and serve the Lord. Amen. Go in peace.